Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. to get up here on this stage and I finally made it. Some of you are freaking out right now if you grew up Baptist. Okay, I grew up Baptist too. And you are not sure this is okay. Some of you are like, it's all right, she's just gonna share a story. I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm gonna preach. All right, so if you grew up Baptist and this makes you nervous, it's okay. I fully understand. I grew up in a crazy environment, okay? We had tons of rules. And the environment I grew up in, a woman would never be allowed to be on stage. So um, I'm right there with you. In fact, I wanna give you some examples of some of the craziness that I grew up in, because this is gonna be pertinent to my story as I tell it a little bit here. But um, when I was in sixth grade, I went to, and just pause here for a second. You guys can have the freedom to laugh, all right? I'm, we're gonna talk about some deep stuff and I'm gonna laugh at some really weird places. Um, and if it strikes you as funny, that's okay. I'm not gonna be offended. Um, when I was going over this with Bryant, we started dying laughing at really crazy areas. And I was like, what is wrong with us? So I just wanna give you the permission to laugh, okay? Or interact or whatever you need to do. But um, when I was in sixth grade, I went to my one and only dance. I never went to the homecoming, never went to prom, never went to any of that. And so that's why when a lot of you get married here, I love coming because it's my time to dance. Um, but I went to my one and only dance and my dad who worked for a parachurch organization um, at the time, he almost lost his job over it because um, I got jiggy to, at that time, the song that was popular was Near Far by Celine Dion. I will sing it for you. <laughs> it was like my jam. I don't even know how you get jiggy to that song, but I felt it deep down. Um, so some other things that were crazy. Um, when Bryant and I first met, I was wearing culottes. I thought that was fashionable. And after we had been dating for a little while, he's like, baby, can you please go shopping? Bless your heart. Like, this is not going to work for us. Um, also, when I was 22, I saw my first movie in the theater. Okay. I had never been to a theater, went to my first movie in the theater. It was I Am Legend. Why? I was so nervous the whole time. And then I'm not a big, like, intense movie person. I left. I was on a date. Bless my date's heart. My armpits were so sweaty. I had to, like, go home and change because I was like, who's going to see me? Who's going to get mad at me? Like, I was a nervous wreck. And then this is my all-time favorite situation. I had my first sip of wine, first sip of alcohol, as a 24-year-old um, with Bryant's mother. <laughs> That's it. That's it, thank you. I know, that one needs a round of applause. With my, I was living on the edge with Linda. Um, a whole new world was open to me then, guys. I was like, I am free. No, um, as I said before, I grew up in a um, really small community. In fact, we grew up in Scroon Lake, New York. It's about 2,500 people, I kid you not. And it is basically the headquarters of a parachurch organization that just comes alongside churches. They have Bible institutes and um, camps all over the world. Um, but whenever you take an organization like that and you put it in a small little community in the middle of the mountains, just a little bit south of Canada, some really crazy things are gonna happen. Um, I've always thought it'd be a great place for reality TV show, um, so there's still time because it still exists. People can still make some money on that. Um, but I grew up in this really small community, um, and things went south really fast for me because um, very quickly the message that they preached, and I don't know that they meant to, but the message that was communicated was, you do the right things, you'll be accepted. You do the wrong things, and you'll be rejected. And not just like shame on you, but like major rejection. And so um, it makes me emotional as I think about it today. I don't know if any of my friends who grew up with me are gonna be watching this or listening to this at some point, but a lot of them um, screwed up 
and then got completely screwed by this organization, just completely pushed out, and have been running far from Jesus ever since because they never experienced what Jesus' unconditional love can do for them. And so it was crazy. There were times where I'd be at school and I maybe would do something wrong, nothing major, but I'd get home and my mom would already know about it. And I was like, geez, how in the heavens? And um, it was because somebody else's mother who worked for the organization would have been there that day, saw me do whatever it was, maybe talk to the wrong person, who knows, would call my mom, let my mom know, and then there we have it. Um, I remember when my brother was 18 years old, he got a tattoo and the leader of the organization brought my dad into his office and just lambasted my dad for my brother's tattoo, which actually told his story of salvation and what Jesus had done in his life. But they couldn't understand it. And so they just let my dad have it upside down, up one side and down the other. And so it was a very legalistic, almost cultish type environment. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but you just have to understand. um, I never, fully knew what love was and what true acceptance was for basically the first 25 years of my life. I tried so hard to be what everybody else wanted me to be. I got straight A's, I graduated valedictorian, which isn't saying much because there's only 22 people in my class, but, (laughs) but... I would spend hours every day in my room studying and working really hard to get straight A's because if I got a B or a C, um, I felt like that wasn't enough and I wasn't gonna measure up. I never, like I said, never went to dances. A lot of my friends did, I never did, I never dated. Um, I never did any of the big seven sins, whatever they are, and yet I was dying inside because even if I messed up just a little bit, Huge deals were made of it. And so I was terrified of making the wrong decisions. And so basically I stopped thinking for myself and I just stopped making any kind of decision. And I would check with my parents first or people in the organization before I made any kind of move because I didn't want to feel the rejection. And when I was about 18 or 19 years old, my parents took somebody in um, and she had some major issues that she was battling through. Um, And they thought that was gonna be about a good time to do it because my brother and I were heading off into college. And so they took someone in and um, basically she lived with us for the next 10 years. And maybe in other situations that would have been okay. But for me, someone who never felt like I was enough, that rocked my world because she started getting all of the attention, all of the love, all of the affection um, because she was in such a dark place. And so at that moment, I felt completely replaced, like I didn't matter. And you can imagine what that on top of it, living 18 years of not feeling like you're enough will do to a person. And so um, my heart just basically broke. I, she w- had all these stories because she had done some wild and crazy things. And so when we'd be talking, I'd share maybe something that I had done that was fun, you know, or whatever. And well, I haven't told you this story. And so constantly felt one up, constantly felt like I wasn't interesting enough, um, constantly felt like I just was not enough. And then a few years later, I started dating a guy that I thought I was gonna marry. We were in college and um, he was a few years younger than me. So I was about two weeks out from graduation, um, had some jobs lined up in the area so that I could teach while he finished college. And then we're hoping to get married around that December or engaged around that December and married in that summer. And um, so um, things were, you know, every relationship's a bit rocky. So things got a little bit rocky and I was actually told that that was the end of the relationship, that I was to break up with him and to be done. And I was terrified of what would happen if I tried to continue on with the relationship. And so even though I loved this guy, um, I broke up with him two weeks before graduation. Um, And then I was told basically to rid my life of any remembrance of him. Um, And I mean, just crazy things like go through Facebook and it used to be you could, you know, see your interactions and I had to delete every interaction. I delete every picture. I had to delete everything. I wasn't allowed to speak to him. I was 23 years old, okay? And so um, I basically broke up with him and then we interacted a little bit through text messaging and then that was the end. That was it. Someone that I had been with for a little bit and had loved. And so things just kept getting piled on for me. And I think at that point, I started to experience some intense anger because I was almost kind of over it. Like, I have tried really hard to be everything you people want me to be, and yet you keep taking from me. You keep beating me down. You keep reminding me that I'm not enough. But I didn't know how to express the anger, and it was almost like in this organization, you weren't allowed to feel because feelings weren't... 
godly, I guess. And if you give way to some of your feelings, it's just going to take over. And I don't know what they were afraid of, but I just kept stuffing. I kept stuffing. And so um, I broke up with this guy in um, May, and then almost a year later in March, I met Bryant. I had moved down here, um, I'd taken a big step, moved down here, started teaching in Lakeland, um, still very much being controlled by different people in my life, very afraid to make decisions without them. And um, I'm, I think at this point, 23 or 24, and I meet Bryant, who's 30, and um, really well on his way, and a little bit out there for my organization and my people. Okay, he's reading things and listening to people. You know how Brian is. He pushes it. And so he freaked them the crap out, okay? They did not know what to do with him. And so we started dating, and shortly into our relationship, again, need to be done with him, need to break up with him. We're not sure we like him. We're not sure we can trust him. And at that point, I'm like, no, (laughs) no. This is the first man in my life that I trusted almost immediately and I felt the safest with. And we did have some mutual friends that we both trusted. And I just started to think to myself, gosh, I think some people are off here. So I started having some conversations with some of these people and I'm like, I mean, is this guy crazy? And they were like, no, like (laughs) Bryant is an incredibly godly man. And so this was the first time in my life that I said, no, I'm not gonna listen. I'm gonna take a stand and I'm gonna stay in this relationship because I think this is what the Lord has for me. And it did not go well. (laughs) And still I'm stuffing, 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 stuffing. And so um, we met in March, got engaged in December, married in May, all right? If you've ever done that, that's wild, all right? Um, But hey, we were all in. And so um, we got married in May and about a month later, the wheels started falling off because I don't know what it was, but I just, I think the chest that I had stuffed everything in didn't have any more room, and so the bolts started letting go. And um, we got married in May, bought a home, Bryant became lead pastor in July, and I remember leading up to the Sunday that he was gonna be named lead pastor, um, I was up at the office working with him, and he'd come in, and I was just crying constantly, could not stop crying. And at this point, we had no context for depression and anxiety and personality disorders, no context for it. Um, I guess we had the context that maybe a lot of you grew up with, um, that it's made up or it's sin um, or it's you know, not really a real thing. It's something people use to get on medication or get attention or something like that. And so that was our context. That's what we had been told and taught. And so um, the thought of this potentially being depression never even entered our minds. It was just like, (laughs) what is your problem? All these great things are happening. Can you please put on your big girl pants and pull yourself together? Um, And we went on a trip with Bryant's family. (laughs) Never forget this, bless their hearts. The fact that I have good relationships with Bryant's family is a miracle. You can laugh at that because there's some stories coming. But um, we went on a trip to see um, our niece graduate from high school. And again, something happened. Bryant and I got into an argument. And instead of it staying between Bryant and I, I decided to basically give his entire family the silent treatment, which would not have normally been that major, except you're in the car for eight hours, all of you together. And I'm sitting back there refusing to speak to anyone. And they're like, what happened? done. Like what is happening, you know? Um, and then about a few weeks after that, I'll never forget, um, something triggered me and I was incredibly angry. I walked into the church office. Dale was in there. I saw him and I was like asking where Bryant was and he could tell I was wound up. He was trying to calm me down and I was not being consoled. And I dropped about five F-bombs in front of Dale in the office. Um, when I finally found Bryant, I was upset because he hadn't answered any of my phone calls. So I grabbed his phone in front of Dale and Linda and threw it against the wall and it shattered everywhere. Um, And at that point, I remember Dale just looking terrified, like, what do we do? Um, There were times where Bryant would just have to get out of the house and I was so scared that he was gonna leave me too. He'd start driving and I'd hop in my car and follow him um, like a psychopath. I'm telling you, it was wild. Um, And he would usually end up at his parents' house just trying to figure out what to do. And I'd walk in and drop a few more F-bombs trying to find him. And so... I say this emotionally, but the fact that Dale and Linda loved me the way they did, I'll never forget that. The fact that they did not allow 
my craziness to push them away, and in fact, they came closer, um, is one of the reasons why I can stand up here before you. In fact, Brian's entire family, I remember his sisters um, loved me unconditionally, and when they would see that I was hurting, would text me and say, I'm here for you, I understand, I'm with you. And so his family just came around us, and it was incredible. Um, But things just kept getting worse. I was teaching at the time, and so I had to try to pull it together for my students, and so... Somehow I would make it through the day and I would come home and then I would just unleash. And we'd have about three or four really bad days and then about two good days and then we'd go back into three or four bad days. And at this point, um, I was beginning to just call random people like my parents and I would just pick up the phone and scream, like literally screaming. Um, I, was, um, I was never a cutter, but I would punch myself. So I'd have bruises all down my arms and my legs. Um, it would get to a point where I would start hitting Bryant. Um, and one point he had to almost pin me down on our stairs because I was so uncontrolled. Um, I was going to hurt myself or hurt him. He started getting really freaked out when he would find me with the steak knives um, upstairs in the bedroom, just on the floor, just holding them um, and just sitting there thinking like, I cannot live the rest of my life this way. I had no idea basically what had happened. Like this wasn't the person that I knew. And I was scared because it was almost like, and if you have any kind of anxiety or depression, you understand this, like an out of body experience where I could not control myself. And that sounds scary to those of you that don't understand what depression and anxiety is like. But you have these out of body experiences where you're like, you don't recognize yourself. You don't know what's happening. You can't figure out like, how did I have it all together? I mean, I had babies named after me. I'm not even kidding. As an 18-year-old, I already had two babies named after me. Um, I had all of these things put together. I was such a rule follower. I was such a good girl. And here I am sitting Indian style in my bedroom in the dark with a steak knife pointed at my leg, trying to get the courage to take my life because I was over it. And that's when Bryant started thinking, we have a problem. And so um, we decided, we booked um, basically a two-day counseling intensive with a couple, um, Phil and Mary Mason, in um, Georgia. They meet, it's called Safe Place Ministries, and they meet with people in the ministry who are basically um, broken, um, just at their wit's end. And here's what's crazy. This gives me goosebumps, but I was looking through Time Hop, and it was exactly, (laughs) this is wild. This is not wild. Eight years ago today that we went. Is that not crazy? Eight years ago today that we went. So um, that Sunday, we were having a really big Sunday, which for back then was like, I think we had 50 to 75 people, and we were like, it is a big day, you know? And I was somewhat like um, stable at that point. Um, and so um, Bryant finished preaching. We got in the car, headed up to Georgia. It was only going to take us about eight hours. And um, somewhere at about hour four, <laughs> I snapped. And I don't know if it, I have a feeling it was the fear of like what's going to happen when we get up here um, and just nervousness, but I fell apart. And so um, I started unlocking the door, opening the door to try to throw myself out on the interstate. And um, uh, Bryant would grab my arm and pull me back in and just drive basically one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the lock so I couldn't get the door unlocked. And this went on for about two or three hours to the point where he called my father and my dad had the sheriff ready to call just in case um, we were going to need an escort or needing to be pulled over. Um, usually what would happen when I would have an episode is I would wear myself out. And so after about like two or three hours, um, I started wearing down and not having enough energy. And so Bryant pulled over and literally laid me down in the back seat, buckled me in several times and drove with one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on me to keep me safe, um, to make sure that I didn't throw myself out of the car. And so what should have taken about eight hours took us 10 to 12. So we spent the night at a hotel that night and then got there in the morning And when we pulled in, um, we went upstairs to where they have their little meeting room. And I'll never forget, Phil um, leaned over the table and he was like, Nicole, we don't have a whole lot of time because I was trying to kill myself on the way up. We don't have a whole lot of time. And so he said, I'm going to start with you because your hair's on fire. That's what he always said. Your hair's on fire. I'm like, that's one way to put it. Everything, everything's on fire, but okay. And so um, he started asking me questions. And he brought up the name of the, the lady that my parents had brought in, and then he brought it up the word legalism. And when he brought up her name and legalism, it was like 24 years of crap just came out all at once. And I was like, 
finally, I can take a deep breath and just let it all out. And I think I spent the next 48 hours just sobbing, <laughs> like just constantly sobbing. We got to a one point where we had taken several um, assessments before we had gotten up there just so they could have an idea of what they were working with. And um, I'll never forget, he said, you know, on one of these assessments, it kind of gives a scale on one to 10 of how angry you are. And he was like, I just, out of curiosity, just wondering how angry do you think you are? And I was like, I don't know, maybe a five or a six. I mean, come on, I can't be that angry. And he leaned over the table and he looked at me and I wish I could do a Southern accent, but I can't because he's Southern. He's like, Nicole, I have never seen anything like this. You scored a 10 out of 10 on the anger. And legitimately, like, Brian and I just started laughing. Like, we just died laughing. I, I don't know if it was like we just needed a break from the sobbing or what it was, but I was like, well, this explains so much to me now, you know? And so, um, in a little bit, I'm going to tell you some of the truths that we learned um, while we were there with them. But as I'm telling this story, some of you I see, you're right with me, and others of you look so uncomfortable. And so I have to ask you the question, why does this make us so uncomfortable? Why does mental illness, nervous breakdowns, emotional problems, why does this make us so uncomfortable? Don't you remember that in Genesis 3, sin broke stuff? We forget that. And some of you may not buy into Genesis 3. That's okay. If you can just pretend it's a really good story and go with me for right now, that's all right too. But in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate that apple, crap broke. It broke. We, a lot of you think, yeah, things are broken. You know, I'm broken spiritually. That's why I sin. I get that. Uh, guys, come on. We broke Physically, that's why there's cancer, that's why there's Alzheimer's, that's why there's the common cold, bronchitis, that's why you get sick. We broke mentally and emotionally. We broke in every way possible. So yeah, mental illness, emotional problems, those things exist because sin broke stuff. And so this shouldn't make us uncomfortable. We're all looking for love, acceptance, worth, and security. All of us, every one of us. And the problem is, is that when we lack one of these things, for instance, when someone doesn't love you the way they should, or when you were a kid and the security got ripped right out from underneath you, or if someone rejected you, or if someone made you feel worthless, what this did was this created unhealed hurts, unresolved issues, and unmet needs in your life. Unhealed hurts, unresolved issues, and unmet needs in your life. Created brokenness. And some of you are so broken. You don't even realize it anymore. You've been coping. You've been self-medicating. You've been doing exactly what I was doing. You've been stuffing for so many years, trying to tell yourself you're okay. And you have no idea how broken you truly are. One of my favorite movies is Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it, but it is honestly, it's like dark funny, um, which I totally love. Um, and Bradley Cooper stars in the movie. And um, again, some of you are like, I think that movie's rated R and she's just talking about it from the stage. Take a deep breath, guys. It's all right. You don't want to watch rated R movies. No problem. No big deal. It's my favorite movie. I stand by that decision. Um, but Bradley Cooper's um, character in that movie kills me. Um, he has, um, he's bipolar. Um, I have borderline. I'll get to that in a second. So they're somewhat similar. But there's a part in the movie where he's sitting with his therapist, and um, he's actually sitting in a chair, and he's holding on to the sides. I, I remember this. And um, the first time I ever saw this movie, I started weeping in this part. Um, and his therapist, Bradley Cooper, has some major issues. Um, if you've seen the movie, you know. Um, but the therapist is like, I just don't know how you've lived 30 years like this. And I'll never forget what he says next. He's sitting there, and he goes, I have been white-knuckling this my entire life, and I lost it. Because that's what I had been doing for 25 years. I'd been white knuckling it, trying to tell myself I'm okay, trying to convince myself everything's gonna be all right. And so I wanna ask you this morning, what are you white knuckling? What are you trying to be, okay, I'm all right, I'm all right, this doesn't bother me, I'm okay, this is not a big deal. Where are you broken? And some of you are gonna have to go years, years back into your past, years. I'll give you some examples. Um, did you have an unhealed hurt or unmet need or unresolved issue when your dad left, when your mom left, when there were multiple affairs, when that friend walked out on you, when you were betrayed, when you were rejected? What about when that business deal went south? What about when you failed that class? 
See, things happen in our lives, and we think, I'm resilient. You know, that person walked out. I'll be fine. It's been a few years. I'm okay. We think we're all right. And then all of a sudden, we start freaking out on things. We start yelling at our kids or forcing our kids to do stuff that, like, nobody in their right mind would do. We get really on edge with our spouse, or better yet, some of you have just grown cold to your spouses. You've just totally gone dead in the marriage. Some of you, you're workaholics, you're spendaholics, you're alcoholics, you're into pornography, you've got a sex addiction. Do you know what those things are coming from? Let me just tell you, they're coming from your unhealed hurt, your unresolved issue, or your unmet need. That happened years ago that you've probably totally forgotten about. Maybe you've blocked it. Were you abused? Were you raped? These things come back into our lives and they haunt us. And if we choose not to deal with them, they're gonna start to affect every single person in your life. Some of this has been generational. For me, it was generational. Some of you are battling with the stuff that you're battling because it's been passed down from person to person to person in your family. And this morning, I wanna tell you, you can stop it. Two words have been going through my mind all morning, and it's that Jesus can. If I can be standing up here on this stage talking to you about this now, I'm here to tell you Jesus can. And so I want you to kind of open up your heart and your mind this morning and just start asking Jesus, what is it? What have I forgotten about? What have I been stuffing? What have I been pushing away? What is that unhealed hurt, unresolved issue, or unmet need? Maybe it's something recent. Maybe it happened just in the past year or so, and you've thought and told yourself, I'm all right, I'm all right, but you're not all right. You're not okay. See, for me, I started having this incredible fear of rejection and abandonment. And so if I ever felt like I was being replaced or wasn't pleasing someone or someone wasn't happy with me, I would completely shut down emotionally. And when we got into our marriage, I freaked out that Bryant was gonna see that I wasn't enough, that he was gonna see that I wasn't okay and that he was gonna leave me. And so one of the things that happens to us in these situations when we're not dealing with our brokenness, when we're not dealing with those unmet needs, unresolved issues and unhealed hurts, is we go into basically an adrenaline rush. It's a fight or flight concept. And so when I would start to get scared, I would literally try to push him away. And so I would scream and yell things at him. I packed his bags numerous times. I kid you not. I tried to get him out of there so that I could be in control of him leaving me so it wouldn't catch me off guard. There's other times, even now, some of my closest friends know this. When I'm battling with my anxiety or depression and I'm starting to get scared, I'll completely withdraw. And so some of my closest friends won't hear from me for days and they'll text me like, hey, you still there? I love you, I'm with you, you know? Because I completely shut down. I fight or I fly. And so this is what happens to us a lot of times when we're reacting out of our brokenness. Um, Some of you are not going to be able to answer this question this morning because it's gonna be too difficult for you to go back. And this is where I kind of want to take a pause and talk to you a little bit about counseling because some of you have been fighting the thought of going to counseling for years. I remember um, when my anxiety and depression was getting so bad before we knew what it was, um, I thought, I think this is hysterical, but um, we were kind of getting desperate. So I was like, oh, you know what, babe? You know what I think this is? You know, I think I'm holding steak knives and beating myself and beating you and screaming. We can laugh at this. It's okay. I thought it was my thyroid. I literally was like, my thyroid's out, right? So I go to the doctor and I'm like, listen guys, I am a nut job. I think my thyroid's off. My mom had a thyroid that was off. My grandma had it, so that's what it is. Let's just take some blood, put me in some pills. Mom will be good to go. Cause I could take pills for a thyroid, right? That would be fine. And somehow my doctor just had a little bit of an idea that it probably was not my thyroid. And so um, made me take this questionnaire and it was humiliating. Um, some of you have been there. I get questions all the time. Like if I go and talk to my general practitioner, what are they gonna do? I'm like, they're gonna give you a humiliating questionnaire, go with it, because this is your first step to healing. And so I started asking a bunch of questions. Are you sad all the time? Yes, you know. Um, then it started getting to the questions, do you wanna hurt yourself? Have you thought about suicide? And I was like, um. So I called Bryant, I'm like, hey babe, it's asking if I've thought about suicide. And Bryant was like, yes, yes you have, you know? So um, I'll never forget sitting across from the doctor and she was like, listen, your thyroid's fine, you have depression. And I was like, nah, 
nah. So I went home and I was like, I did what any good Christian did. I was trying to pray it away. You know, have you been there? I was like, we'll pray it away. I'll get some good CDs, some good podcasts. I kid you not, literally did this. And um, started listening to CDs. We started praying. We let a few people in on what we were going on, going through. And um, nothing was working. And by the grace of God, this is crazy. But um, the CDs that were given to me to listen to were by Dr. Kevin Hull. Um, he had done a series. He's a licensed mental health counselor. as his doctorate, teaches at several universities. And um, he had done a series over at a church in Lakeland, um, basically about mental illness and breakdowns and relationships and stuff. And so I started listening to this. And um, I was painting our new house at the time and just sobbing like this man gets me. And so I'll never forget it had gotten to a point where I was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to call him. So I found his number and I called him. And I remember it being like, what am I doing? Like, counseling is weird. Like, we don't believe in counseling. Like, counselors just are there to make people feel better. Like, literally, it's the environments we had grown up in. And I remember someone who had been tracking me with me at the time who had given me the CDs questioned why I called him. Like, why are you calling Kevin? And I was like, I don't know, woman, but nothing's working, so I got to try something. And so I started getting into counseling, and I've been tracking with Kevin now for eight years. I still see Kevin. In fact, he's in Key West this weekend. Um, he knew I was going to be speaking. He wanted to try to come, but he's down there with his step son. So um, I don't know if he'll be listening to this later, but Kevin, between Kevin and Bryant, they saved my life. And I got my butt into counseling and I started tracking and it took years. But for those of you, and I get this a lot, people say to me, I don't want to relive my past. I'm scared of it. And I'm just going to tell you, you got to get over that. I know that's hard, but it's like when you break your arm and you don't get into the doctor right away and they have to re-break it in order for it to heal, that's what counseling does for you. I'm sorry, you have to relive those darkest moments, but what's your option? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna keep stuffing? Are you gonna keep trying to say you're okay? Are you gonna keep ruining your life and everybody else's lives that's around you? Is that what you're gonna choose? You're gonna choose that over living a healthy, whole, free life. That's what you're really gonna choose. It's up to you, but I'm just saying, some of you need to get into counseling. And understand when I say this, biblical counseling, I think there's a place for it, but not when you're really hurting emotionally and mentally. You need to get into a licensed mental health counselor, LMHC. That's what you've got to look for next to the person's name. They need to be a believer. I'm going to say that clearly, but they need to be a licensed mental health counselor because you need someone that understands how your brain works and how your emotions work and then how Jesus can heal those and put those back together. But that's of utmost importance that you figure that out and then also that you walk in community. Some of you need some close friends and family members who are willing to walk with you through your darkest moments. And if that's you, if you're walking through something with your spouse or a friend or a child, I want to tell you this, and this is from Jesus, I believe it. You are probably going to be the picture of Jesus Christ in their life. I never understood the gospel. And I grew up, you know, in evangelism and discipleship and all the crazy words. I never understood the gospel until Jesus, until Bryant loved me at my absolute worst. I didn't get it. And it was at that moment that I was like, this is what Jesus does for me. This is how Jesus loves me. And so if you're walking through a dark season with somebody, you need to get yourself some counseling. Bryant will do that from time to time. He still sees Kevin himself a lot for himself, but then also for me. You need to get yourself in the counseling so that that counselor can also help you figure out when to put your foot down, when to set up the boundaries. Um, some of you, though, you're, you're not in a married relationship. It's not a child. It's an unhealthy relationship, and you need to be in community to know when to get yourself on up out of there, okay? Because some of you are in codependent relationships that are train wrecks, and you're not married, so you have the freedom to go now, and that's what you need to do. But if you are married, or if it's a child, or if it's something that you feel the Lord has called you into, then you need to get some help too so that you can help that person and love them back to Jesus. <laughs> so when we got back from Georgia, I thought I was healed. I was like, mama's healed. I'm good to go. We're going to be fine. And a week later, I crashed and burned probably harder than before we went up there. And I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Um, I was so discouraged. I mean, I remember when we first got back from Georgia too, we tried to like cleanse the, the house, you know, we're like, you know, trying to get all the demons out. Like our house is cleansed. We're going to be fine. You know, we're going to make it a week later, have a major breakdown. And so um, I remember I was still tracking with Kevin at the time and just kind of like, what is going on? And um, 
about seven months into tracking with Kevin, I'll never forget, we were about ready to go to Texas and um, for my brother's wedding. And he sat me down and he was like, listen, I want you to read something. He said, I don't believe in labels, um, but I want you to read something that I think you might relate with. And um, this isn't exactly what he read me. It's gonna be on the screen here in a second, but this is pretty much close to what he read me. Um, It says, they experience intense abandonment fears and inappropriate anger, even when faced with a realistic time-limited separation or when there are unavoidable changes in plans. For instance, a person with this condition may experience sudden despair in reaction to a clinician's announcing the end of the hour or panic and fury when someone important to them is just a few minutes late or must cancel an appointment. Pause. You know that story Brian always tells about when he was um, late and I deleted all his DVR shows, okay? I don't know, has, has, I'm sure some of you have been here for a while, you've heard that story, but the man was two hours late and his phone died, he didn't call me and I deleted all his DVR shows. Now you understand there's more to that story, okay? Um, I am crazy, but there's a reason. Um, they may believe that this abandonment implies that they are a bad person. These abandonment fears are related to an intolerance of being alone and a need to have other people with them. Relationships and the person's emotions may sometimes be seen to others or characterized as being shallow. And this is called borderline personality disorder. And so seven months into tracking with Kevin, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And I remember just crying as he read this to me. And he was like, you know, what are you feeling? Why are you crying? Like, what, what emotions are you experiencing right now? And I was like, relief. <laughs> I'm experiencing relief. Because now I know something's happening to me <laughs> that we can begin to fix. Like this isn't gonna have to be me the rest of my life. Like sure, I'll probably battle anxiety and depression for the rest of my life. But now I know there's things that I can relearn and there's triggers that I can try to avoid and there's healthy coping mechanisms. I didn't say all that in the moment. I was like, oh, I just am relieved. But these are the things I was thinking, you know? And um, I called Bryant and again, I think he was relieved too, but there was still a side to him that's like, what is all of this, you know? But when I started reading, like there's actually, and I should have found it for you, but there's like specific things it will say that you'll do or struggle with. And I was like, I don't know how we can argue with this. Like it shouldn't say borderline personality disorder. It should say Nicole Golden personality disorder. Like it was me to a T. And so um, we got on a plane headed to Texas, and this is wild, but um, we went to my brother's wedding, and then we drove about eight hours to try to get back up um, so that we could attend Matt Chandler's church. I don't know if any of you know who Matt Chandler is, incredible dude. And um, we were at one of his campuses, and um, he was preaching um, out of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read you the scripture first, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I learned from him. But... um, Talk about a God moment. All right, I don't wanna wanna jump ahead of myself here. So let's read, they're gonna be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 12, seven through nine. This is out of the message. Uh, It's a translation of the Bible that I love. It's like basically a paraphrase, but it kind of puts things in today's language and I love how it words it. It says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me onto my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, that person die. Did you lose that person? Did you make an accidental decision? Opposition, did you face something at work? Did you lose a job? Did something financial happen to you? Bad breaks, was there a diagnosis you weren't prepared for? Was there a breakup you weren't prepared for? He's got them all in those four words, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. I'm not gonna give you a pat answer here. I'm not gonna wrap it all up nice for you. I'm gonna tell you this. I had never before heard, and this is Paul speaking because you don't have any context for this. Paul, who was Saul, who had murdered people, torn families apart, um, 
Paul wrote this, and one of the things that you'll oftentimes hear people explain as his thorn in the flesh, if you're used to the KJV or NIV, is that his eyesight was bad. Have you heard that? Um, when he accepted Christ as his savior, there was something weird that went on with his eyes, and so some people think his thorn in the flesh was that his eyes bugged out, which that would be annoying, I'm sure, but um, other people talk about it as probably a speech impediment. If you read Paul's letters, um, he'll talk a lot about how he um, stutters or he's weak or he's nervous. He was incredible, right? but as a speaker, he struggled a little bit. Um, and so, and then other people will say it was actually a person, which I could totally get that too. Because um, the KJV, it says a messenger of Satan. I think here it says one of Satan's angels. And so sometimes people think that it might've been a person. Matt Chandler though, that day explained that he thinks there's a good chance it was an emotional or mental issue for Paul. And I freaking lost it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I just said freaking, but I just fell apart right then. And I was like, I had never heard that before. But then I started thinking, okay, go with me here for a second. I started thinking, if you've read through any of Paul's letters, okay, he actually does this progression, all right? And some people will say, I'm gonna tell you the progression in a second. Some people will say, oh, he just, as he gets older, he just understands he's more of a sinner and he just kind of sees that he needs Jesus more and maybe, but I think it's more than that. You've got to think of this, okay? Saul, which is Paul before he accepted Christ, would go into places and he would rip families apart. He watched men get murdered. He watched women get in prison. He watched these children watch their parents as they died. This is what he did and he thought he was doing the right thing and he was zealous about it. Then he accepts Christ. Now Christ tells him, okay, go start churches. And so now he's going back, y'all have to understand this, into all the same places he just was. And he's starting to interact with people now, these kids who are grown, who understand what Paul did to their father, what Paul did to their mother, why they live with family members, why they're orphans. They know that. Wives have to see Paul and listen to Paul preach. Do you think he had a speech impediment? I bet he did. I bet it was his nerves. They had to listen to him preach about Jesus, knowing that about 10 to 15 years before, Paul murdered their husband for preaching the same thing. You think Paul had some problems? I bet he did. And it says in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, one thing I do, forgetting. That's present tense. He says what? Forgetting what is behind and straining. That's present tense towards what is ahead. I press on present tense. I think Paul had to constantly remind himself. He had to constantly say, I've got to forget it. I've got to forget it. I've got to push it back. And it's not enough just for me to tell myself I gotta forget it. Now I've gotta strain into Christ because some of us get stuck. Forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. But I'm remembering to forget it, you know? So he had to choose to forget it and then he had to press into Christ. When he saw those people, and I'm sure some of those people never dealt with their anger or bitterness. I don't know that I would have ever dealt with my anger or bitterness. He had to constantly in that moment remind himself it was in the past. And so I think that thorn was an emotional mental problem. If you look to, um, and I don't know, I'm probably skipping around on ProPresenter with these people, and I'm so sorry, but 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he calls himself the least of, of the apostles. Then a few books of the Bible later, he says he's the least of the saints. Then a few verses later, a few chapter, oh, I'm sorry, a few books of the Bible later, he calls himself the worst sinner. I don't think it's because he was getting to know himself. I think it's because that's how he was feeling, that he is the absolute worst. I think it was that thorn that constant reminder of what he had done and that emotional problem that he was constantly dealing with and fighting through and working through. And so as I was sitting there thinking about all this, something clicked in me. I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'm ever gonna get past this because I've asked Jesus for eight years, I've asked Jesus to take it and he hasn't. He's chosen to leave me with the depression, with the anxiety. In fact, just this week, it was crazy. It hit me all over again, all this week. I think the enemy knew, right? But Jesus hasn't taken it from me. And I decided in that moment, I was gonna see it as a gift. If you're gonna give this to me, or if you're gonna allow it because of a broken world, if you're gonna allow this, then I'm gonna choose to see it as a gift and I'm gonna allow it to push me into the gospel 
and I'm not gonna stay silent anymore because there's too many people who are silent. We had nobody when we were walking through that, nobody we could relate with. Nobody was on the platform sharing their stories. Nobody was talking about it. And in fact, at one point, we felt like we were so lost and broken that Bryant tried to resign. He actually wrote a letter of resignation and gave it to Dale. Dale tore it up and threw it away. This is why Dale is so amazing. but we had no context for what do you do if you're in ministry and you have these issues. And so I decided I was gonna see it as a gift and I wasn't gonna stay silent. I gave myself a few years to really get to a place where I was gonna be okay. In fact, this is the first time in eight years we've ever shared it from the platform like this. This is the first time. Because you don't wanna play with this stuff. You wanna wait till you're ready. But I will never forget the moment where I was at my worst and I was face down in our bedroom. It was. It was pitch black in our room. That's how I liked it. And I remember asking Jesus to take me. I said, just take me. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way. I'm over it. If you don't take me, I'll take me. Um, I, I, I just, I don't even understand why you would allow this. I was so hurt and so angry. I wasn't even sure if I believed in God at that moment. That scared me. Um, I didn't know what end was up. And I promise you that Jesus spoke to me in that moment and he said, I love you. And he didn't just stop there because I needed to hear the rest of it. Even here, even now. Because I was a mess and there was not a blasted thing I could do to fix it at that point. And I had to know in that moment that he loved me. And that began to change the trajectory of my life And so what I wanna tell you this morning is, even in the midst of your mess, maybe it's not mental illness, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's multiple affairs, maybe it's a broken marriage, maybe it's an issue with your children, maybe it's, I don't know, you fill in the blank, whatever your brokenness is, if it's mental illness, if it's any other sort of um, brokenness, I wanna tell you this this morning, that Jesus loves you in the midst of your mess, even here, even now. And if you are a believer, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, here's the amazing thing. When God looks at you, do you know what he sees? He sees Christ. Because do you know what he gave up to get you? He gave up Christ. And so you are an equal playing field with Christ in God's eyes. You are equal to Jesus Christ. That is what you are worth. You are worth Jesus Christ to God. And when he sees you, if you've accepted Christ as your personal savior, he doesn't see your screw ups. He doesn't see your mess ups. When he looks at you and this changed my life, he doesn't see your timeline. He sees Christ's timeline. He sees Christ's perfection. And so if you're in the middle of your deepest, darkest crap right now, here's the incredible, crazy thing. And you're not gonna believe me, but I'm speaking it over you in Jesus' name. When God looks at you, he sees Christ. That's all he sees. He does not see your past. He sees Christ's perfection. And you have to lock into that truth if you want to start to get healing and to move forward and to quit these self-destructive behaviors that are ruining your life and ruining the lives of the people around you. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning. I want to ask you a few questions. What is your unhealed hurt, your unresolved issue, and your unmet need? What is it? What have you been self-medicating, coping, white-knuckling for years? What have you been refusing to let go of? What are you not seeking help about? What are you trying to cover, to hide? What is it? My second question for you is this. Are you willing to admit you don't have it all together? Some of us are so afraid, we're so ashamed, we're so embarrassed, we've been having it all together for years, we're so afraid of what people are gonna think and what people are gonna do. I went through that. You know, up until just a few years ago, my parents still lived in that um, small little town of Screen Lake. They still lived there. And so we would have to go back. And I remember I had been going through so much change that I'd have to set up a counseling appointment before and after to deal with my anxiety of just rubbing shoulders with these people again and worrying. Even though I'd been married and out for a while, what were they gonna think? 
And Jen Hatmaker writes a book of Mess and Moxie, which I absolutely love, but she talks in there about when we start to grow and when we go through seasons of growth and healing, a lot of times it's the people that leave us behind, that are left behind, that try to pull us back into their mess. And so I wanna ask you this, is it worth it? Is it worth you trying to act like you have it all together? Is it worth you parading around here like you're all okay and you're fine and you're good? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for your spouse? Is it worth it for your kids? Is it worth it for your friends? Is it worth it? When are you gonna say enough? I don't even care anymore. We're all broken. Just some of us are really good fakers and some of you in here are really good fakers. I have news for you, you're broken. You're broken, otherwise you wouldn't need Christ. And so are you willing to admit you don't have it all together? Those of you with mental illness, are you willing to see this as a gift? Are you willing to stop feeling sorry for yourself? Are you willing to stop questioning? Are you willing just to say, all right, I'm gonna see it as a gift. One of my greatest fears was that I was gonna pass it on to my kids. One of my greatest, it still kills me to think about it. And every once in a while, if I start to see one of them acting anxious or something, I wig out and I go nuts. Like we're all going to counseling, family deal, you know? And Kevin told me, he was like, listen, because you've seen it and you've addressed it and you've met it head on, your kids are less likely because once you start to see it, you'll deal with it. And so I said, no more to the generational baggage. It ends today. Some of you ready to end the generational baggage? The generational baggage of affairs, addiction, generational baggage of mental illness that just runs you wild that you don't allow Jesus to redeem? Are you ready to end the generational baggage that's been following you for years and years and years? Hurt people hurt people. And so some of us have to start getting healthy so we stop hurting the people closest to us. And that starts today. And so here's my last question for you as the worship team comes out, because we're gonna end with Reckless Love. Can you think of a better song to end with? And so I don't know if they can hear me, if we can cue them out here, but as they start to come out, the worship team, here they come. Here's the question I wanna end with for you is this. Will you have the courage to deal with your pain and your past so you can live free and whole? And I'm gonna ask us to do something that's a little uncomfortable here because some of us just need to have the courage to say enough, I'm coming out of hiding. I'm gonna stop holding it all together. I'm gonna stop pretending like I have it all together. I don't care what people think. And a second here, I'm gonna ask some of you to stand, all right? And here's what you're gonna be standing for. You're gonna be standing for a couple of different things depending on what it is for you. So those of you who battle with mental illness, you're gonna be standing to say, I'm gonna get the help I need. I'm gonna stop trying to fight this on my own. I'm gonna stop hurting the people closest to me and I'm gonna start making the decision to get healthy and whole. You know what, for some of you, that might be a pill. Okay, I stand before you today, I took my pill last night. Every evening I take my Lexapro because you know what, that helps me. It's not a crutch because I'm still in counseling, but it helps me stay focused and stable so that I can continue to make the decisions that I need to make. But some of you, you're just popping the pills. You're not getting the help you need. You gotta stop hiding behind the crutch. Some of you, you're in the middle of some stuff. You're in the middle of some major brokenness, whatever that is. Whether it's an addiction, an affair, you're working too hard, you're treating people nastily, whatever it is, it could be big, small, I don't care what it is, you're in the middle of it, and I want you today to stand and say, enough, I'm gonna stop it, and I will get the help that I need, whether that's counseling or community, and you tell the enemy he is done winning in your life, and he is done having the last say, because you know what, Jesus can, and he will. But he's not going to until you humble yourself and you say, I'm ready. So if that's you this morning, we're not even gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to stand if that's you this morning and you say, it's enough. I'm gonna get the help I need. I'm gonna get the healing I need and I'm gonna move forward. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, 
we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.